Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Yvette August OG, with the Smoke Pit Story Time. So I know on social media, I had kind of alluded to the fact that I probably wasn't going to be doing the show anymore. Well, after talking with some uh, good friends and uh, some family members and things like that, I just had to get some things sorted out first and uh, kind of refocused uh, the energy that I was putting into the show. Um, I'm just really not that into party politics anymore. So I decided just to change the show. You know, the show evolves as I do. So we're back. So I know some of you guys will be happy. Some of you guys probably won't listen, but whatever. We're going to have a good time anyway. Uh, so like I said, I'm your host, Vet Argusto G. And this is season two, episode one. I was really excited about this. And uh, I kind of fangirled out a little bit during the episode. Um, but we got Clay Martin, who's a former Armory Special Forces. Dude's had a pretty legit career. And uh, he's also the author of Prairie Fire, Concrete Jungle, Last Son of the War God. He's also a writer for Guns America. And uh, if you go on YouTube, you find him really, really easily. He's also got a website called Off the Reservation. It's kind of what we do on this episode. We just talk a little bit about everything, what's going on currently, you know, the books that he's written, um, pertinent information, talk a little bit about guns and just... Just had a good conversation. Um, yeah, it was it was nice to meet Clay. Also this season, I just want to give a shout out to some new friends that uh, have companies. Um, my boy Demp with SoloTac for all your medical first aid needs and tactical boo-boo kits. There's also Stocking Mill Coffee Roasters who have some really, really awesome coffee. And TexasIsFull.com. Um, they got some pretty cool stickers over there, some cool merch. So uh, go on over there and give those guys some love and uh, support small businesses. They're doing good things. So hope you guys enjoy the new season, episode one. Let's get it. Combo. <laughs> all, all, all I did was unplug it and plug it back in, so I'm halfway there. Well, now you're a combo, dude. I, I, I was. That shit always works. <laughs> it's like the old Nintendo. Take it out, blow it on the cartridge, and put it back in. Right, right. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. Well, Clay, I'm Brent. It's uh, it's really good to meet you, man. Um, yeah, good to meet you too, brother. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for coming on. Pays to have uh, mutual friends. It always does, dude. That's the way the world works. <laughs> um, I went ahead and hit record just because sometimes the good stuff happens. At the oh, beginning yeah, too. dude, I know. I fucking feel you 100%. Yeah, usually <laughs> with these anyway, it's, uh, you know, it's like a, a, a fucking train of conscience where you get your best shit just from your conversations, you know? Oh, yeah. I was laughing because you were like, I just had to make sure you weren't a fruitcake first. I'm like, but I am, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, dude, man, you know how this shit goes, though. There's some... There's some like honest to God, like weird people out there. If you ever do your, I, I've gotten myself in some situations before where I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? yeah. I've been, I've been lucky, but yeah, dude, there are some seriously weird people on, uh, yeah. on the Twitters. Well, especially when you start getting into like the subject matter, like I did this time with the new book, like, uh, like, you know, talking about like 
build militias and all like yeah. yeah sometimes the freak shows start coming out and you're like whoa, whoa, whoa hold on hold on <laughs> like, yeah, yeah i'm not that kind of girl <laughs> yeah yeah there's uh there's one guy we won't say his name but i guess he's a history professor and uh talking about overthrowing the government and we're all we'll all be put up against the wall and all this stuff I'm like bro if you're a history professor you should know you'll be first <laughs> right. right they'll kill your ass for fun after they're done exactly it's like you you know how this works right <laughs> well you know that's the funny thing though that there's a lot of like this history and stuff that i've only learned probably in the last three years myself and you know i consider myself pretty well read but i mean you don't learn about like the communist purges and, and stuff like that in uh in american schools you just don't i mean you even don't. in college you don't you don't even learn american history in american schools yeah that's true that's true but if you do learn some uh some little bits of it i mean they skip right over that stuff like like it never even happened like huh yeah, it's like there was a Cold War, and uh, then there wasn't. Right, and now we're all friends. Yeah, except yeah. we're not. Yeah, except for uh, when you want to blame somebody because you ran a shit candidate. And, right, you know. no kidding. So, Clay, for those who don't know you, um, if you wouldn't mind just going over your background, I know it's pretty extensive. Sure. So, uh, so I joined the Marine Corps in like 1998. Did my first five over there. Uh, I was a grunt, then I was in a recon battalion, then I was a scout sniper while I was in recon battalion. Uh, then because apparently I'm an idiot and I like punishment, I uh, cross-decked the Army in around 2003, uh, went into the uh, the West Virginia National Guard, actually, 19th Special Forces Group. And then after I got qualified and did a tour with them, I uh, cross-decked again and went back to uh, 3rd Group Active Duty Army. Nice. And you got out when it was so... You did like 15 years, something like that? 15 years, yeah. yeah. I got medically retired at 15. Okay. Man, that's rough. Yeah, it was a it was a, it was was a hard thing to accept, man. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys that have been down that road. Uh, but it's uh, it's pretty weird when they you know, just walk in and they're like, uh, well, you're done. Uh, yeah. It's, it's been fun and all, but get out. Yeah, and then they're like, hey, good luck, by the way. Right. And, uh, wait, you're, there's no transition? No, here's your papers and right. see, see ya. You should be qualified to do all kinds of stuff out there. Yeah, Have a good yeah. time. Like, <laughs> cool. Where in this country can I go raise an army? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I um, I signed up in '99 uh, in the army. Shipped out right after New Year's in 2000, and then I got out in '05. Okay. And um, I was an intel analyst. Nice man. So I thought I was going to be Jason Bourne, but apparently recruiters are full of shit. <laughs> I, I thought a lot of things that weren't true too <laughs> yeah man <laughs> fucking yeah they uh they get your ass they make some really good propaganda which uh you know i'm not even knocking them for because that's how no no i'm not even mad i'm impressed <laughs> right because they got me twice <laughs> <laughs> but uh no i mean i did some fun stuff not as not as much as you uh i saw that you were like an 18 fox and that was what i wanted to do but sometimes in the in the military, it's luck of the draw, right place at the right time. And sometimes, oh, yeah. just, sometimes just bureaucracy is not gonna, you can't get any traction. So, and I think that's something that people will never understand that on the outside of like how weird it can get and how lucky you have to be sometimes to just fall in where things work out. As I, I mean, you know this, you you've been in the service yourself. There are so many things they can do that don't even seem legal, but to, to hold guys like in a profession. And I, I mean, you see dudes get stuck sometimes and like, I've got a buddy that he was in like one of the weirdest MOS in the Marine Corps. It was like one of the odd 
truck drivery thing, but specialized with like X, Y, and Z license or whatever bullshit to uh, to be the certain MOS. And uh, like he couldn't cross that, he couldn't do anything. Like they were, those guys were so critical. Like you're going nowhere. So yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of luck involved. There really is. That was me. I uh, I tried to go to Ranger School, and then I had a sergeant major that I apparently pissed off. But uh, yeah, I tried to go to Ranger School and was gonna do the uh, the RIP program, and then was all set to go to that, and then sergeant major killed that. Then I'd come on, come down on orders for Hawaii and then Korea and then something else. And the guy from branch is like, why do you keep rescinding your orders, dude? What are you talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about. We find out what happened, but then uh, I ended up going over his head and going over to CID for like my last year. Nice, man. (laughs) So found out I did not want to be a cop. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a rough, that's a rough gig, dude. Well, especially when you're doing your six month deal um it's got to be like unbroken and you're basically on the clock 24 7 and so i was pretty wore out and i like doing the fraud stuff um, yeah and theft and things like that um unfortunately i had to do a lot of like svu type stuff and that's when i was like uh, it's not for me man I, I can't i can't put a wall up <laughs> you know, you know there's, a certain, there's a certain kind of person that and, and i'm not one either that can build that wall and, and do that job but uh that's uh that's some rough stuff dude yeah god bless the guys that can you know yeah i mean they're necessary but yeah that's a rough business yeah so speaking of rough business there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on in our our world these days I definitely wanted to talk to you because, you know, you just came out with Prairie Fire and um, which I just ordered, ordered Prairie Fire, uh, Concrete Jungle and The Last Son of the War God. Nice, man. Appreciate it. And I meant, oh, no worries. And uh, I meant to grab the other one, but it it didn't bundle it. So I ended up getting the other one, too. But they're all going to they're all supposed to arrive on November 3rd. I was still a truck running and planes flying that day. Oh God, <laughs> dude! Yeah, this is a uh, this is a weird time to be alive, man. It's uh, I mean, this is this last three years has been really, I think, eye opening for for me especially, and for you know a lot of people I think in that same boat. Yeah. But uh, it's one of those situations where you know how this goes from the intelligence game. You're always looking at it like. You know, am I actually applying some kind of bias to this? You know, did I just get bored? So now I want things to be crazy. So now I'm imagining that they're crazy. Yeah. Uh, it's because we always grew up in our heads fighting ninjas ever since we were little kids. Right. Exactly. Yeah, man. Yeah, I totally get it. Yeah, 100%. But uh, I mean, I think even when you take like a, a raw a- analytical look at this, like we've never seen anything like this in our lifetimes. And, uh, you know, even the dudes are 20, 30 years older than us. I, I used to think that the 60s and 70s, had to be worse as far as division goes. But uh, I, I honestly think in the last six months, we've passed that point. I mean, yeah. things are nuts. The only thing that's really missing, we, we haven't seen the uh, the hardcore militant left doing things like, you know, bombing the Pentagon or, you know, knocking off armored cars yet. Right. You know, if and that's what everyone kind of bought into the propaganda from them, that it was all about police brutality and things like that. And Right. I mean, I was like, well, we all know that all the stuff with COVID isn't about COVID. So why is this going to be any different? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I had told my wife, she's like, why are they 
looting businesses and doing things like that. I'm like, cause it has nothing to do with what they say it does. If it did, they'd be doing that at the police station. And right. while it would still be wrong, at least it would make sense. Right. Yeah. No, hundred percent, man. It's uh, yeah. There's a lot of opportunists that are, that are taking advantage of this. Uh, and this yeah. is all there is to it. You know, people just want to be criminals. Uh, and you know, I, I can't help but think there's a bigger agenda on the command and control side too. Uh, this is something that uh, that I've talked about with quite a few other buddies that came from the intelligence world. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at this and it's it's clearly a controlled op. I mean, this is not organic. This is not just like, oh, these guys decided to have a riot over here and these guys decided to have a riot over here. No, it's very organized. Right, it's very well organized. Uh, you can watch if you pay enough attention to like the live streams, and uh, you know you can see the little command and control elements going around telling them what to do. Mm-hmm. And you kind of got your your upper level cadre that are uh, uh, what's what's the right word that we used to use for those guys? They're like C two C two C. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking of the next level below that, your agitators. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You build into a ride if you're trying to cause one. Those are basically the guys that go around and like direct and then behind that is the big mass of, of knuckleheads that just you know do whatever's cool and you can see how those agitators are being controlled and pushed and you you have to wonder what the agenda is uh i mean they've done a sh- insane amount of economic damage to uh, minneapolis the one that we have the best numbers on right now but it was something insane like a hundred million dollars in damage i mean that is not small potatoes uh i mean you, you know that's that's crazy uh, and that was between the looting and the burning. And that's not even counting you know, like business shutdowns and stuff. That's a whole separate deal. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, you had to wonder if if maybe that this was a push on the economic side to finish what COVID started. Yeah, well, we're already teetering on that economic collapse anyway. I mean, it seems like oh, every, yeah. every 70 years we default. Right. Um, and uh, it's been that way for a long, for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, like you said, you, you see the, the command and control element. If you watch the crowd, you see people that you see them, that they move a little bit different. Right. Yeah, there's there's just way too many things. At first, I'm like, am I, am I crazy? Am I am I Alex Jones in this right now? Or is this what I'm seeing? And right, right. you watch enough feeds and you start seeing patterns. And that's what a right. lot of that's what a lot of intel is just seeing patterns. Right. In behavior and things like that. And uh, I remember I'm in Georgia and when the deal went down in, um, in Atlanta and they were started blocking the highway and uh, they burned down that Wendy's and like that little redheaded girl didn't shoot anybody, you know? And, uh, (laughs) and uh, my wife was watching it and I'm watching it. I'm like, Oh, you see that girl right there? She goes, which one? I'm like the little blonde scrawny white girl with the uh, the black tank top and the mask on she goes yeah i'm like she's the instigator she's like how do you know i'm like just trust me and then next day her she was on the news you know wanted and Mm -hmm. uh, you know it's just you just see it enough times and you're like you can start it just becomes really loud almost you know yeah i think there's a lot of people that you know we've been saying stuff for years and everyone thought we were just nuts and paranoid and whatnot and I was like, the army paid me to be paranoid, you know? <laughs> and uh, and now, you know, if, if Trump has done anything, he has shown a really bright light into the dark corner. And so people aren't, the mask has come off and people are just really, you know, it's just out in the open now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, dude. It's, uh, I mean, it's crazy. It's, uh, you know, this is something that me and my wife discuss quite a bit too, because she's not, she's not just very politically minded. It's never been her deal. Uh, uh, 
you're just not wired that way. Uh, so living with me, obviously, that you know, she, she at least catches the periphery of it. But especially this last six months, you know, the same way she's been coming to me asking me questions like, you know, like like you said, like with the uh, with the rise and stuff, but more on the political front too. She's like, yo, why do they hate this dude so much? And that is, uh, I mean, that's a very good question when you look at this politically. They don't hate anyone the way they've ever hated Trump. Uh, and, you know, there has to be a reason for that. When you look at it, I mean, I really think, I'm going to go ahead and say too that I'm not a, the hugest Trump fan that's ever been. I feel like yeah. he's done in a lot of ways. He's, he's not delivered on a lot of promises. Um, and he, he's, he's even hosed us a couple of times if you're a big Second Amendment guy uh, on mm -hmm. nonsense. But uh, I believe after the last, I guess we're going on four years now, really looking at this, I think they really hate him. He really is an outsider. He, he really is not politically connected. Uh, and everybody else before this from either party has been a political animal. Uh, which makes you think maybe they're all playing by the same agenda. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's not, man. And they they hate him, and they will do anything it take anything they can to uh, to get rid of him. And uh, we, I mean, we've seen that. This is nuts. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. As far as the Second Amendment, I think the B B ATFE should be a convenience store. <laughs> right. No, and uh, and to me, you know, this is going to sound kind of nutty, but Trump hates pedophiles and child trafficking, and he, yep. he has done a lot on that front. Um, I think that really the big part is it is that he doesn't want to start any new wars. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I would be I would be fully with that, man. Uh, I mean, that goes back to like you know growing and uh, and learning a little bit as you go along. Like when we're in the army, you're looking at things through a, a smaller lens, uh, and we're worried about things over there. I never even considered like the strategic implications over here. But the, uh, the older I get and the, you know, the, the more experience I have in life, the more it looks like the last 20 years was all a big money laundering operation. And I was like, how can we take American taxpayer dollars and wash it by dropping bombs and shit all over Afghanistan and come out on the other side for a Raytheon, Boeing? You know, it, it, that's really what it looks like, man. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. Look at all the mainstream news organizations who their sponsors are. Mm-hmm. You know, Boeing, Raytheon, like, you know, everyone calls it the military industrial compact plex, but that's what it is. And it has been since World War One. Right. Um, and he's openly called those out. And the last person that really called those out was JFK. Yeah, that didn't work out for him. No, I saw a really messed up meme. It was him on the, uh, the autopsy table. And it says that face when you um, say you're going to end the CIA. <laughs> what? Yeah, no kidding. Right, man. Yeah, no, it's 100% true. Well, and I, you know, like, like you started with the, yeah, the pedophilia angle of this crap, too. I mean, this is going to, as it's funny for everybody listening, like uh, when I, when he first asked me to come on the podcast, I was like, okay, man, I got to make sure you're not fruitcake first because, like, there are a lot of weird people out in this world, right? For sure. But I, you know, I went back and I, I listened to a couple episodes, I was like, okay, we're cool. Um, but going into that angle, uh, it's really kind of crazy too, because things that I would have believed were like jokes at best or tinfoil hat crazy shit like four years ago now seem entirely plausible. Uh, like maybe the world really is run by this huge, uh, weird pedophile cult because uh, there's been too much shit that points that direction that it can't be explained another way. Yes. As, our, as our as our buddy Skip um, <clears throat> says, bee pigs run the world. Right. I mean, he's, 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 he's 100% right. And yeah. I, I would have, 
I would have not even listened to somebody telling me that three years ago. Now I'm like, yeah, that's that's probably exactly that. between Epstein, Pizzagate, all this other shit that's come out. Uh, you know, all the the weird art at that. Uh, you know, I went. Uh, who was Desta. it? Yeah. Desta. Yeah, and Eft and Epstein. Yeah, yeah, man. Like that starts making a lot more sense when you. Uh, I mean, you, you can't have to open your brain about. Yeah. This is really what it looks like. Was it, uh, was it Spock that said, once you've ruled out the impossible, you have to uh, consider the implausible? Yeah. Well, I'm there, man. Like, like, that really is how the world looks now. Yeah, it's just, uh, I live near Atlanta. Atlanta's a huge hub uh, for child trafficking, or just trafficking in general. And that's kind of where I'm at, you know, I think we should end the war on drugs and actually go after stuff like that. You know, that's something I care a lot more about. Yeah, I'd be totally with that. Yeah. Yeah. It was like if someone wants to do something to themselves, I really don't give a shit, but you do something to somebody else, then there's a victim and then that's a crime. Right. Yeah. No, dude, I'm totally with that. I mean, to me, that's basically free market 101 right there. <laughs> if we legalize all the drugs in the world tomorrow, uh, you know, heroin, crack, whatever bullshit they make up in a basement in Florida, obviously, <laughs> you would lose a percentage of population. I mean, it might be a big percentage, like 10, 15%, but largely they would self-select yeah you'd yeah. have a maybe a little bit of crime raised with you know people stealing stuff to, to to get their drugs but it would take care of itself in pretty short order this uh this human trafficking shit that's a whole different animal uh you know everyone there is a victim every one of them yeah let's talk about uh the concrete jungle and prairie fire okay all right so you know again it's that weird thing of like you said like seeing patterns or uh or you know, having an, an intelligence-trained brain, sometimes you start seeing things happen before other people do. And you know, sometimes that ends up being like nonsense too. Like you start thinking one thing's gonna happen and it doesn't. It's kind of like Obviously, a gut feeling, like, like when you can tell it's about to rain. Right, 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 exactly, exactly. Yeah, and you know, I, I think the longer you do this too, the, the sharper those instincts get. And uh, you know, maybe it doesn't always rain, but you definitely see some clouds gathering after, after you think that too. So uh, was it 2019? I'm living over in Oregon, um, which is obviously like, you know, the, the center of the universe for all this Antifa crap. Uh, so I'm not even in Portland. I'm, a, I'm like a couple hours away in like a little town, but just living over there, like I see the handwriting on the wall in a, in a way I'm like, oh man, this is, this is weird. And Oregon's really weird because it's the only place I've ever lived too, where a lot of the state is like full up, you know, Antifa, whatever, anarchist stuff. But you also see the counterbalance to that. I mean, I see like 1488 bumper stickers like out in public. I'm like, you know, a car a dude drives to work. I'm like, you know, I, I've lived in the South. I've lived a lot of places. I've never yeah. seen that. I mean, never seen anything yeah. like that. I've been in the South all my life. <laughs> and the only white nationalist skinhead I ever met, I got in a fight with, and he was from New York. <laughs> right well you, you certainly have i'm gonna wager i've never seen like a clan bumper sticker like it, it doesn't happen no, it's like 14 yeah. fat dudes and right. no one cares right <laughs> that's why this is so weird too like i mean seeing like swastikas and stuff like like flown openly and like you know permanently attached to it. it's not like you know somebody put on a t-shirt and went did something with their mask on and it went i mean this is like you know the car they park in the parking lot at denny's where the hell they work damn so yeah, it's really weird. I'm like, and I'm like scratching my head, but I'm like, you know, looking at all the, these pieces come together, like this, this can't go on without a fight. Like you can't have two things that are that polarized and opposite and, uh, and things not go down. 
so between that and a lot of the other stuff that started happening with uh, with Trump's first two years, yeah, I really started looking at it like, and I've lived in some big cities too. I'm like, okay, what would I want to tell my friends if I thought this was gonna was gonna happen? If uh, if I thought there was a, a potential of like a like a high grade insurgency in all the American cities. So that was where Concrete Jungle was born. You know, uh, it was basically a guidebook for, you know, if you live in, in Portland or uh, Chicago or something like that, and things get really bad, like uh, like these cities have basically become completely lawless zones, how do you see that coming? What steps can you take to mitigate it? And then ultimately, how do you survive if things do go really bad and get out? So I started writing that about a year ago. And uh, also at that time, I was under contracting with a publishing company. So I wrote the first, like, I don't know, five or six chapters, uh, presented that to, like, my agent. He took it to, like, all the major publishing houses. And everybody was like, no, 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 no. Like, absolutely not. Like, survival books, that's nerd shit. Like, that's, so, that's so 2008. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It was just a zombie apocalypse. It's not 1995. <laughs> like, who really cares? Like, they wouldn't even touch it. Uh, so I was like, okay. So I kind of shelved it and then, uh, actually kind of forgot about it. So going into the 2020, uh, we actually had a house fire at my house. I uh, lost all my stuff. We're living like a rental, uh, you know, the, the insurance company provided us in, uh, in the suburbs, like trying to rebuild our lives. And I guess it was about March. Was that when the, yeah. So the COVID things now was later than that. It was, it was, uh, May. So right after the, uh, the George Floyd thing happens. Mm-hmm. Like, cities start exploding. I'm like, oh. And uh, as I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, wait a minute. I still had a copy of the book. Well, I didn't have a copy. I had emailed it to a friend to see if he would proofread it to see if I was, you know, too far off the reservation. And uh, sure as hell, man, he went to his email folder. He's one of those guys who never deletes anything. He still had it. So he sent that over to me. I, uh, I finished it up in like four or five days and, uh, and put that one out there. And, uh, you know, a lot of people were, were, were super stoked about it because it, it is uh, some things about, like, urban combat, thing, stuff like that, that we would have learned over the last 20 years as GWAT guys right. would never have occurred to your normal citizen. Yeah, and even guys like me, I'm, I'm excited to read it because I can only read so many, you know, TMs that I, or field manuals that I've downloaded over the years. Just <laughs> right. Trying to stay somewhat current on, like, what's going on. Cause you don't know if it's, you know, your national guard's going to be doing gun confiscate confiscations like they did during Katrina. Right. Right. And it's not yeah. No, it's not. And you know, I'm not going to bag on cops, but everyone's like, well, cops would never do that. Look what they're doing in New York. They're going house to house, you know, roughing up Jews. Right. Where have we seen that shit before? Right. Well, and while you're on that subject, you make, I mean, cops have probably the rawest deal that anybody's ever had. Yeah, because you know, there's some great ones. There's some really good ones. There's some guys I'm friends with that would never do that. But sure, same here. You know, 20, 30 percent that would, and obviously did during Katrina. Right now in New York, right. Uh, you know, you've got that small percentage of cops that's always just there because they're on a power trip. And uh, oh yeah, well, there when we were in the army, you know that there was guys that you were with. They're like, yeah, they do that shit. Oh yeah, oh yeah, without question. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be the percentage of like army dudes that would just follow any order too. It might be 10%, but that's a, that's a lot of dudes, Yeah, you know? So, so cops have to deal with that uh, as well as like, they, they just have the shittiest job in the world. Nobody's ever happy to see the cop unless maybe you're the victim, but still you're the victim. So you're not, you're not doing great. Right. Uh, they're always seeing you on your worst day. 
Exactly, man. So, I mean, they really get a raw deal. Uh, but especially since Obama was president and, uh, and his hatred for cops and how he pushed that, I mean, he's, he really did a huge disservice to the, the police of this nation. And uh, he's cost a lot of them their lives, too. Yeah. And what they always do, and this is straight out of Karl Marx's playbook, is you make it about race. You know, I was, I'm an 80s baby. And uh, I remember the 90s, dude. I graduated in 98 from high school, and we everything was cool. Everybody gave her, got her, and this is in Georgia, man. No one gave a damn. Everything was cool. Um, the only thing that bad that really happened was that Kirk Cobain killed himself and Master P killed Rat. You know, that was the worst thing of the night. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, of course, there's some heavy political shit that happened and wars and things like that, but you know, as far as at home, you know, racial divides and stuff, everyone, everything was cool, but yeah, you really, you really saw that, um, during Obama was ratcheting that up, that racial tension, that racial tension. And everyone's like, you know, he's saying, I'm going to fundamentally change America. And everyone's like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, you guys never asked what he meant by that. Fundamentally how that was my question. Fundamentally how, right. and now we know, um, right. I don't see the stuff with police being a race issue. I see it being more of a class issue, which nobody in politics is look wants to change. Not a damn bit. You know, for those of y'all that listen, that don't know, whenever they say this will not affect the middle class, Bohica. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, you're hundred percent right, dude. I mean, it, it could also be looked at as part of a larger plan. Like you delegitimize the police, uh, start turning people against them. Sure. Uh, it makes it easier to, to do what you need to do later. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah. It's just, you know, they de delegitimize the family, which they started doing in the sixties. Mm -hmm. um, you get as many people you can to depend on government. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, though, you know, war on poverty, how many trillions of dollars have we spent on that since, you know, LB, LBJ started that and there's more people on welfare than there was then. So it's either it's a plan or they're that incompetent and don't deserve to be there anyway. Right. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. man. So, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's just like when we, when, you know, when we went into um, Iraq, you know, I, I went in in 03 and you find fissures in the system in society and you start driving wedges in it and mm -hmm. then and then you point them to each other let them get going and then you come in and mop it up and exactly it really seems like that's what's going on here it's just taking a lot longer it's it's been a very well planned event here uh very low very low time preference right right well, and again, you know, looking back like three years, I would be, I wasn't you know, a total normie. Uh, maybe I was on the, the fringe edge of normie, but I would not have believed that there had been a, a 60 year communist master plan to get us here. But now in the last three years, it certainly looks that way. Like oh, you yeah. said, well, it's longer than that. Karl Marx wrote uh, Abraham Lincoln a congratulations letter for winning the presidency. Right, right. <laughs> he did all the propaganda for the North. A lot of people don't know that. Karl, Mar did. Karl Marx was doing the propaganda for the North before the Civil wow. War. Yeah. He, cool. he wanted the U.S. in the Civil War. That's insane. It's been going on a long time, my man. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm one of those guys that, and maybe a bit disconnected, but I really thought that communism ended in 1989. And 
you know, I knew there were some kids still running around with hammers and sickles and, yeah. you know, Portland in the 90s or whatever, but they were, they were a joke. You know, that, to me, that was, that was being part of a dying ideology the same way that, you know, learn how to speak Latin is important. I, I never considered the communists a threat anymore right. until just about three years ago. And maybe that's because I was blinded by, you know, the, the 2000s and stuff being involved in uh, overseas. Right. But I, I really didn't think that was still a threat. And I mean, I was kind of actually shocked when I realized that it was. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder if Putin's shocked by it. It's like, they're still doing that stupid shit. We don't do that anymore. <laughs> this was like, you know, created back in the 50s, some like KGB master plan. They threw the dead man switch, but all those guys are dead and gone. And they'll never yeah. see fruition of it. But, you know, it's kind of an accident, like just going. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, I remember this was, yeah, because 2016, I was still pretty normie. And, um, then I started going like the more libertarian route, I guess. Still kind of there, but I'm more like right libertarian, whatever. But my wife, you know, not into it at all. Right. And uh, she was like, who is Putin? And I'm like, well, look him up. And she goes, well, what did he do? I'm like, well, he was in the KGB and, da, 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 and he's been their president forever and all this stuff. And she looks him up. She goes, yeah, he's buried some bodies. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> She says, yeah, she goes, that son of a bitch probably still has a shovel in the trunk. This is one of my, uh, this is my first dealings with, uh, with college kids in about, I don't know, 2006 or 2007. It was before mom passed. So uh, I've got a buddy that's, uh, you know, East Coast, like blue blood family and stuff. And uh, I'm up at his house in uh, right outside of Washington, D.C. And one mm -hmm. of his like cousins comes over that's, you know, in college right now has some books you should read. So uh, she starts fucking running her mouth about uh, fucking, uh, you know, we're gonna have to have a draft and we're gonna be in the Underground Railroad from all of you guys, warmongers trying to draft us college kids to fight your war and all this crap, right? So, uh, and she's a, she, it comes out that she's a Russian studies major. <laughs> and right about then, something about Putin comes up. And I'm like, yeah, that dude's a gangster, man. He is like, you know, he's got oh, his junior DVDs. Like that dude is, uh, is legit. And, uh, she with a completely straight face is like, he spent his entire career in Berlin. He didn't even go to Vietnam. I'm like, what? <laughs> You're right. That's where the KGB sent the chomps was to Berlin. That was all. But, uh, I mean, that, that was, it was just like that was a an example of the disconnect between college educated and world educated to me. I was like, that's uh Berlin that's, was the hot zone. Right. <laughs> that's where all the gangsters went. The they sent the baddest motherfuckers to Berlin because the damn wall, dumbass. That's where tradecraft was born. Dude. You know? That is where yeah, you were hundred percent that is where modern espionage tradecraft became art. Right. I mean, OSS eat your damn heart out. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, amateurs compared to what happened there. Oh, yeah. That's like when all the soul, cool secret ninja shit. I mean, that was the arms race. That was everything. Everything was a race. Missiles, bullets, bombs, guns, and espionage. Right. She needed that. She needed a refund. <laughs> That's what I thought. Yeah. It's like that Like that same guy that we, you know, it's, it's funny. It's always ended up being like some academic, and he's like, well, I'm a history professor. That's what my degree's in. And I'm like, I can read books too, bitch. You know, <laughs> but I didn't spend two hundred thousand dollars from Princeton to get a degree to teach school. <laughs> Shit. Well, 
Oh, sorry, that was a tangent. <laughs> wild, man. I get it. I fucking get it. It's a. Uh, it's. I have to. Sometimes I just have to laugh, or otherwise I'm just gonna cry about. It. <laughs> you, know, you just see stuff, and you're just like, "What?" Right. That's that's. Uh, oh, do you remember that old commercial? It was like the old ladies, and she's like, "This is this is like when Facebook was kind of new," and she had all these pictures on her wall. She goes, "This is my wall," and the lady's like, "I don't get it." She's like, I "Unfriend you," and she's like, "That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works." <laughs> right? Exactly. exactly. And it's just there's so many people that just I don't know. Maybe it's just the public education system. They have to dumb dumb a generation down. Uh, enough oh what was that guy's name yuri besmanov mm-hmm. i mean he pretty much I, mean, I remember i found that video like a couple years ago and i'm like oh sh-. he's like you ever see something and then like it all kind of clicks and you're just like oh yeah. shit yeah it's like it's like taking the fucking red pill yeah like yeah yeah like a, oh yeah you see something and you can't see it after that yeah and i'm like oh this dude just pretty much just laid it out right so, just laid out the plan right you know you demoralize society and then he said you know you take a generation and you dumb them down well if you take september 11 2001 to now that's the current that's the generation that grew up during that time that's out in the street right now mm-hmm. for the most part you know yeah yeah um all the gen xers are like we still just want to be left alone um it's just weird like I heard Trump say Operation Warp Speed, but it seems like 2020 has been Operation Warp Speed. Not saying that he, you know, whatever. But you shut down the world for the flu. Right. And millions of people lose their jobs. The famine shit hasn't even started yet. That's no, gonna, that's going to start this winter. Yes, it is. And you talk about demoralizing a population. Yeah, it's about to get real ugly. Yeah, I I do not have the network and the ammo that I wish I had. <laughs> none of none of us actually had the one we wish we had, but yeah, but uh, yeah, man, it's uh, it's going to get crazy, and you know, it's kind of like a, something we started to hit on at the uh, the beginning of the of the show, but uh, you know, it's probably a good time to reiterate it. And we haven't even started paying in in dollar terms for this COVID shutdown. I mean, we're. Yeah. I think this is something that people you know don't understand too. Like the, the economy is so big and so many ones and zeros flying around and shit that it doesn't just halt overnight, no matter what no. you do. No. So we had this downtime and uh, and then we printed some Trump bucks and some other bullshit. Well, we're we're right now at like the lead edge of starting to pay for it. We've seen some huge amounts of like defaults on like cars. Uh, I saw something like something like 30, 40% of the American population uh, is behind on mortgage payments right now. Uh, you know, things are, but we're still like teetering right here. When it goes, it's going to collapse. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know how we think we're going to pay for, for what we just did in the last nine months, unless there's like a worldwide debt jubilee. Which, yeah, we should have defaulted in 07. Yeah, for sure. It, it would have been, it would have sucked. But it would not have been near as bad. Right, right. But there's, I mean, there's stuff that's, you know, you st- like you said, you start seeing stuff, you know, like the World Economic Forum. 
is talking about the great reset, like all these major worldwide banking organizations are talking about world reset. You know, it was the, the WEF said by the goal for 2030 is that you will own nothing, but you will be happy. Yeah. And, and I see people like, Oh yeah, I don't want to own a house. I'm like, no, 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 you don't get it. You don't own you. Right. Right. You know, you don't own yourself. That's what they're really saying. And their butthole is property of the government. Exactly. It's like, if you have a problem with that, shut up and take your Soma. Yeah, dude, it's, uh, things are really weird right now. Uh, yeah, really wonder how this is going to play out, but I mean, we're, we're definitely primed for an economic collapse. Mm -hmm. And like you said about defaulting, like it really, what's somebody going to do about it if we do default? You know what I mean? They're going to send the UN to collect from us. Like, we already got the parts for our aircraft carrier. Like, China can, you know, eat my ass. You know, like, come repossess it, tough guy. Yeah. Well, the weird thing is, I'm not saying this is what happened, but, you know, China don't give a fuck. Oh, yeah. And, you know, what if they said, hey, you need to start, you know, start repaying some of your debt and tell them to get stuffed and they release the virus? I don't know. Wouldn't put it, I'm not saying that's what happened, but, you know you see what they've been doing to the uyghurs you know mm-hmm. they really don't oh, yeah. give a shit about life no they don't they know? don't give a fuck yeah. and and again you know this kind of goes without being said you got to separate the general pop populace from the government right um you know i love my country and i don't like politicians <laughs> yeah. me fucking neither Man, I had an outline going down, but I, I I go down so many rabbit trails, I can't keep track. Um, so prairie fire. So yeah. that one, how does that one, how does that one differ from concrete jungle? Okay, so going back to uh, story time. So prairie fire was written about a year in advance, uh, and I actually thought that we had more time. I wrote prairie fire, or excuse me, uh, concrete jungle, probably with the idea that you had like two or three years to like get your shit together. So there's a lot of like long-term planning in there, like start doing this and that'll pay off in like 2022. Yeah. Fortunately for me, there was also a lot of like immediately relevant, like tactical level stuff. So that one comes out and that was basically to address exactly the, the, the deep urban survival, the dudes that live in like downtown Atlanta, not even the suburbs uh, or, you know, New York city. Right. Uh, So, and I kind of, you know, sat on my laurels for about a month, like, okay, well, that was cool. We helped everybody out. And uh, these riots will either, you know, they'll go this way or they'll dry up. And uh, not in my wildest dream did I believe they'd be going on like 120 days later. So we get to about the end of the 30 days. That's already a long time. I'm like, ooh, this is not good. And uh, probably so about mid-July, I started really thinking, you know, using my brain again, like, what's the next step? And the next step to me is the scary one. That is the entirely real possibility that they use COVID and whatever else to steal the election or make it look like, or whatever, the election's disputed. And this could all be building towards the idea of a red county versus blue county civil war. Like real, like no kidding, like killing each other with machine guns, civil war. And that was what Prairie Fire was written to address. Uh, so that's me, you know, as rapidly as I can. Now, if we went to intelligence school for concrete jungle, now we went to ranger school for uh, for Prairie Fire. It's like, okay, you got out of the city, I hope, uh, or you built a network so you can get out of the city and have somewhere to go. What are we going to do if we're like me, we're in a little red county that by ourselves, we can't stop the invasion of, uh, of Spokane, for instance. Uh, how are we going to band together? How are we going to get our shit together? 
how we're going to set up like a defense in depth from our town to the next town to the next town to the next town so that we can actually fall back across enough distance, kind of like the, the Ruskies did. Like, you can always take the first 300 miles of Russia. Like, they'll give you that one. Like, yeah. Come get it. And then winter happens, and then they send their fresh Siberian troops and they, you know, clean the fucking floor with you on the way through. That's pretty much how I looked at it for, uh, for Red County. How do you do that? Uh, what are the implications of like an actual, like, like real, like, war for for us in this country and what are the worldwide strategic implications uh if we shut down like oh man there's uh, there's some dark rabbit holes that we go down there yeah there's gonna be a lot of people that starve to death that okay. are that, that are, i mean it's already gonna happen I yeah mean, yeah and farmers having to destroy crops killing cattle pouring mm-hmm. out milk destroying eggs and the and it's just like during you know in the past the government yeah. paid, paid them to do that Right. Instead of saying, oh, shit, we got to get this stuff to market. And, uh, you know, we feed the world, too. So we started feeding all that stuff. We feed the entire world. China lost something like 40% of their crops to the flooding this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, they got got hurt bad. Uh, And, you know, they'll never release what the real numbers are. But, I mean, they lost a gaggle of their farmland. So, you know, if all this other stuff starts coming apart, like – can Russia and China really afford for us to not make wheat and, and soybeans or whatever else that we make? Like, yeah. Well, no the whole thing. world is just like uh, your local grocery store is just in time shipping. Right. The whole world operates off of that. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, if we feed all these other places too, what do they start doing the minute that we can't perform or do they have to back somebody so that we can perform? Like, I mean, there's a lot of, of, of weird stuff that is on the verge of potentially happening. Yeah. Yeah. You're already starting to see it in some parts of Africa. Uh, and uh, that was something I told my wife. I'm like, you know, you see all this shit going down. This is just a bunch of rich ass or whatever white college kids with nothing better to do with, you know, with a white knight complex thinking they're saving the world. Mm-hmm. Everybody's still fat and happy. Nobody's yeah. nobody's hungry yet. Nobody's, you know, feeling the hurt of I haven't eaten in five days. Right. And right. I don't know where I'm going to eat. Yeah. Um, that shit hasn't started yet. I'm like, we had a big snowstorm about 2012. And I was back in school and I was I was working at a gun shop. And uh, it was awesome. Uh, actually, my, my manager, who I was pretty tight with at the time, um, he was he just retired, Marsoc. And uh, I learned more from him than I did the entire time in the Army. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> But it was big snow, and I, was, I told my wife, I'm like, hey, she's working downtown at you know, Atlanta. I was like, hey, you need to go on and come home. She's like, no, I'll stay a little bit. I'm like, get in your car, come home. Don't worry about it. And she waited, and she almost uh, almost had to jump in the Jeep and drive down the median to go get her. She gets stuck in the, the snowpocalypse. I remember that. I had a, I had a friend yeah. going to the time, and there was she, like you know, 35 yeah. miles locked up cars. Yeah. If she would have waited 10 more minutes, she would have. Cool. But, but she said people were just being crazy running lights and just running people off the road. And I said, baby, civilization is a thin veneer. <laughs> very, very thin. And I was like, you know, people are inherently selfish. I'm like, it's, it takes, I mean, we're, we're just used to trying to be good, you know, but you know, you're struggling against the flesh all the time. I'm like, you know, you get people backed into a corner of, I don't give a fuck. And it come unglued real fast. I'm like, and that's just oh, yeah. that's just some snow. That was like four inches of snow. Right, right. And I'm like, imagine what happens when, you know, food trucks are getting hijacked. 
you know, Sam's Club's raided, <laughs> you know. Well, you did know, you see people, that, what that, uh, that food truck hijacked in Los Angeles yesterday? Yeah, right? dude. Yeah, that's crazy. And uh, that's that's what's coming. That's the future. I did not get my garden in the ground. I'm pissed. <sighs> yeah, me too. Dude. Um, oh, were you going to go? Were you going to say something? I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. No, man. I mean, that's another thing, too, that you have to think about with this hunger deal. In this country, we haven't truly gone hungry since the 30s. Yeah. Like, like nobody our age even has any frame of reference what this is like unless you were in the military or something where they, you know, did it to you on purpose one time. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're, we live in a society where our poor people are obese. Right. Right. And it, I mean, I don't even want to hear that, you know, people don't eat this because I mean, you can go behind McDonald's and pick, you know, quarter pounders out of the trash they throw away because they've been in the heater too long all day long under normal conditions. Uh, and wh where I'm kind of going with this is, Almost no one in this country even knows what hunger looks like. And it is an ugly business, man. I mean, you talk about some desperation, like let your kids get hungry. Uh, and that's that's where we're headed to. Uh, I mean, we don't actually know if our food supply is good enough from everything that happened, COVID, China, all this other bullshit. Um, if there's fierce competition worldwide for what we do have, uh, does our stuff get sold off for gold? Maybe. Uh, I was reading something just, uh, just a couple months ago. There hasn't been a famine in 600, 700 years. It wasn't man-made. Even like the Irish potato famine, they had enough food to feed everybody there. It's just the, uh, the government sold it all uh, to, to other places. To On eat. purpose. On purpose. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, I think, we're, uh, I think we're on the way to some very dark shit when it comes to food supply. Mm. Yeah. <sighs> Man. It gets heavy, dude. <laughs> yeah, it does, bro. It really does. And that's why, like, you'll see me, like, it'll be, like, a really serious thread, and I'll just drop something stupid in there, because I'm like, I read the whole thread. I'm like, I'm going to go crazy. I just got to do something funny. <laughs> right. Or at least retarded, you know? Right. It's like somebody was, I think it was it was Skip, and uh, for everybody doesn't ask at Free Rifleman, and uh, if you're not following him, you're you're wrong. Get on that. Um, but it was talking about, you know, because he's collapsitarian, whatever, and he was... yeah saying you know i forget what it was <laughs> but i was talking about going to war and everybody's dropping all these badass memes like wolves and like see it call of duty shit and, da -da -da -da. and i just post these three guys in ghillie seats going hello my baby hello my <laughs> like just going across the screen <laughs> it's like i get it but damn <laughs> i don't know what the way out is um uh, the way you know, the way address in both books as well as you know i i don't really know if there is a way out um and that's I, I mean whoever started this could have could not know the way out either that's how these things happen a lot of times you know people will start something that they really weren't ready for and it's just hard to get out of uh i mean both world wars are kind of that way you know about, yeah, about 1943 yeah. like literally nobody wanted to play anymore but there was no, no good uh, same thing with, uh, you know, 1917, uh, you know, and, and until we uh, sent our fresh troops in and finally, you know, broke that stalemate, they didn't, they hadn't wanted to be there for two years. No government had wanted to be there, but there was no good way out. Yeah. That's, that's how these things go a lot of times. And I think that maybe what we, what happens here is, uh, you know, these people start something that you can't easily turn off and that sucks, man. I mean, that's, yeah. just, that's just, that's a pile of shit and we're all going to take a bite of it. Yeah. I mean, we've been at war for 20 years now. Yeah. Oh, at least yeah. this one. I mean, is from when this country started, 
how many years have we not been at war? We've been at war longer than we haven't. Right. Yeah. Uh, right. I just think that, you know, even the civil war was a global war was technically the first world war because there was other countries involved and mm-hmm. apparently the Russians were going to come in on the south, Southern side, but, um, actually the inverse of that, they, that uh, the, that's, that's right. I got that wrong. They, they blockaded some ports for the North and, uh, yeah, there was like some, some weird Russian involvement in uh, the people. Would, they actually offered like troops and shit too. They just didn't go. That's through. right. I forgot about that. No, I had that wrong. Yeah. I knew the North had hired Hessians and yep. others. Well, and the, yeah, the, something I just learned actually right in Prairie Fire. I didn't know that there was English involvement too. They actually harbored the uh, Confederate fleets, which okay. is, yeah, yeah. Like all the ships that didn't get sunk is because they were in a port in England. No shit. I yeah, didn't know that because England needed needed the cotton. Uh, even though they had, uh, even though if you want to look at it from a slavery lens, uh, they had a you know slavery was obviously not popular with the British population, and they'd already uh, dissolved it in their own holdings. What 20, 30 years prior to that, right? Uh, but they needed the cotton so bad they actually gave covert support to the South. That's true, and a lot of people don't know that the South offered to to free the slaves before the war. Uh, I didn't know it, that actually. It got rejected by a lot of people. Don't also also don't know that there was northern states that also had slaves, and those northern slaves are the are those northern states were the reason why the who voted against that. So, wow. Like like most of it's about money. Um, but yeah, you're right. Cause the North had, they were doing like their um, industrial Renaissance or whatever. So was yep. Europe. So was Europe. No one gave a shit. It was what was going on in the South, tobacco, hemp and cotton. Right. Um, yeah. That was a tangent. I don't know where to go from there. <laughs> <laughs> that happens sometimes. Um, well, oh, here's a question I did want to ask. So, you know, a lot of people always want to go, well, what do I need to buy? What gun do I need to buy? Or what's the right ammo? Which that's a question that should have been, you know, they should have figured out a couple of years ago. Right. Far as, and I don't know, if, you know, I haven't read the books yet, but do you go over, well, I'll just say this. So I was not going to do my show anymore uh, just because I hate politics. I'm just not interested. I get that. You know, I keep an eye on it, but it's not life. It's not my religion, you know? Right. It just found a lot more interesting things. And the big focus for me is building community. Yeah. Um, so for, you know, former special operations, you know, Green Beret, I know that's kind of like your guys' bread and butter. That is exactly our bread and butter. That is exactly what we do. And uh, that's a that's a running theme, actually, of both books, too, is – look, man, you know, if you want to like put out the resume of like call of duty level skill, like, yeah, my shit reads like a fucking demon's resume. But what I say in there after I say all that is I can't do this alone. Not even a little bit, not even fucking close. I can't even guard my own house by myself. If you really get down to it, I go, well, even if I could for 12 hours a day, I got to sleep sometime. Right. You know, I'm good for about three days, but there's a limit. So the big emphasis of both books is building a team of, of whatever you've got laying around, you know, construction workers, the chick from Starbucks, it's a barista, whoever you've got that you can depend on, start working together like a team. Uh, that's something that, that people like badly misunderstand too from like TV and video games and shit. Everything's really just fucking Rambo. That's not real life. Uh, you know, SF guys, we all know that we get exponentially more dangerous the more of us that there are. You give us like four dudes, like, oh, 
And then we get all the way up to 12, like, oh, you know, we can, we can, we can wreck shit. It's a but, party. <laughs> right, exactly. But, you know, individually, we're not that much more dangerous than anybody else. But that's why you have to have team. That's why I have to have, everybody has to have team. Uh, then going on to the, the next piece of that, you know, how we integrate together, how we, you know, work together. The next piece of that is kind of shopping. And uh, one of the things I'm very big on in both books, too, is you can't buy a victory. Like you're not going to get out the visa card and get some cool guy shit and all of a sudden be like, Oh fuck, I got armor and shit. Now I can, I'm just going to win. It doesn't fucking work that way. We've been fighting illiterate dirt worshiping heathens for the last 20 years. And they have, uh, they've done some fucking damage to us. Uh, you know, I, I've buried friends that died from a 39 cent AK round. So have you human beings are adaptable. Yeah. Dude, dude, do. dude, smoke checking dudes with like, infields and shit infields. <laughs> yeah. yeah you know you go to a country and they think you're russian right, you know? right. exactly but uh so my big point there's like you're not just gonna buy like the top of the line shit and and be fine you have to train with it and money matters a lot less than people think it does now going into the situation like we're talking about it's handy to have like a food supply laying around and uh, you know a couple guns ammo so later on in the books I do like detail account, like what I would buy. But another thing that I'm, I'm big about in there is levels of budget. So, you know, I'll talk about your your primo cool guy shit if that's what you really want. Cause that's also what I do for a living, I review gear. And then like some mid tier stuff. And then what I consider some exceptionally cheap stuff that's still good enough, still get the job done every time. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a Century Arms uh, VZ58. That's a damn sewing machine. Yeah, fucker will get it, right? dude i love it yeah. i love it dude try to get her try to get a shell stuck in that son of a bitch <laughs> <laughs> the whole i mean i love it striker fired everything yeah dude but yeah i paid now now they're 1200 dollars. i got it from am surplus in 2013 i got i bought the rifle and 20 magazines for 600 dollars. wow that's a steep dude yeah. Well, I worked at a gun shop and got a deal. <laughs> okay, okay, that helps. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's something I'm big on pushing, that, especially in Prairie Fire. The, uh, the theme of Prairie Fire is, you know, a dude with an SKS that he shot 5,000 rounds through is better off than a dude with a Daniel Defense that he bought yesterday that he hasn't fired yet. You know, right. just, he's got like 50 more guns in the in the safe and right. has like two boxes of ammo between them. Right, exactly. A hell of a pallet of ammo. He still not know how to use any of it. Yeah, yeah, the, the yeah. There's a big difference between people that shoot and people that collect. Yeah, yeah, and you know that's something I've seen working in the gun industry too. That's something I didn't really understand as a younger man. But you, there's actually a large percentage of the guns that get sold in this country that never even get fired. Oh no, no, that's what they call safe queens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I didn't I didn't understand that until I got. I mean, I say I got into the industry. I, I worked at retail, but then also worked in manufacturing too. Oh, I got. You. I'm a machinist now. Oh, and, nice. Um, you're handy to fucking have in the apocalypse then. Note hey. to sell. Let me uh, check that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, exactly. Um, unless they turn the power off, then I'm screwed. You know, low time preference, put your money away, buy the right thing. Don't get the most expensive thing out there. You don't need to go, right. you know, every, you know, nights is sexy as hell, but I don't need to pay $4,000 for an AR. No, no. And, you know, get you a Colt 6920 and a couple cases of ammo and sign up for a class and run the shit out of that gun. Don't put anything on it until you've gone through a class or two and then you'll know what you need. Exactly. 
exactly well so much money gets wasted on like accessories and stuff that are fucking garbage too you know i mean that's real life man i mean people will buy like nine ten a thousand dollars worth of just crap that they Mm -hmm. use once and then throw away because it's junk turn a six pound turn a six pound rifle until a 12 until a 12 pound rifle exactly right man exactly right so but yeah that's kind of something that i i i put in there a lot too is like you know i've played with a lot of stuff uh you know i I shot three gun for a long time pro level uh all this stuff so i beat things up so here's what you can get away with like let's let's look at okay man i made the cheapest thing on the market but this is the cheapest thing that i would encourage you to have and it's gonna be pretty reasonably priced you know it's not gonna be cool on instagram but it will get the job done my grandfather was uh, army, but Pacific theater. And then on the other side of them was my great, uh, my great uncle who was Korea and Vietnam and Marine Corps rifle team and all that. So we like, you know, I gave, I, I popped out, they handed me a rifle, but yeah, 1911, I was seven years old and I'm shooting a 1911. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. And so that's what I, that's, that was my personal carry. You know, I carried a Colt. Uh, 1991 or oh, oh, 1991. Yep, I remember that one. Yep, yeah, and not the best one, <laughs> but uh, you know, and then we'll go into the army, and you know, I'm an intel guy, but I was carrying a saw. Um, that's what happens when you're six, six, four, but uh, <laughs> here you go, yeah, you know, CID, I'm running, you know, we're, we're carrying SIGs. Yeah. And so I liked the SIG, um, but I got out of the army and I went back to a 1911 until a buddy of mine handed me his Glock 30 SF. And I'm like, all right, I'll shoot this piece of shit. <laughs> Put a couple of mags through it, gathered up my shit, went out to the counter, said, how much will you give me for this? <laughs> and he goes, what do you want? I'm like, I want that Glock, a bunch of mags and all the ammo I can get for this. So yeah, I got hooked up and never looked back, you know, and a lot of people, there's a lot of Glock fanboys or whatever, but to me, you know, how fancy does a hammer have to be? You know, right. It's simple. No, I'm hundred percent with it. It's, it's funny. You go down the 1911 road. I was actually the same way I was raised on them. Uh, Cause we still had them in the Marine Corps, uh, yeah. especially over at recon force recon. That's still yes. like the choice. Uh, so my 21st birthday, I bought a 1911 Springfield armory at the PX. Cause uh, we had a oh, PX. No shit. Yeah, dude. Fucking Lejeune rolls deep. And I'd been, I used that thing and I'd been using it prior to that. Uh, so I was a 1911 guy for, that was the only gun I owned for a long time. It was like my, my concealed carry and it was a full size government model, but you know, oh, was, yeah, you know, it was everything for like, you know, six, seven years. And uh, I didn't switch handguns until same thing. I got to the, uh, the army and a unit I was in, we had Glocks. Uh, so that was just, and after I did, I was like, Oh, this is nice. This is like, you know, this is, this is crazy. And oh, my, my 17 is still my favorite. Yeah. I do. Okay. I raced 34s for a long time. That was my, my gun for a USPSA and three gun. Uh, actually got, I took a, a Glock back to the Glock factory that they had never seen before. So uh, my, my finale on, on Glock stories is, uh, so I got to the, uh, the place where I was teaching close quarter battle for special forces. So basically they brought us ammo by the dump truck. And part of the mandate as an instructor is like, you better always be better than your students. So if you want to stay after work and practice, go for it. Like, okay. So I started shooting competition and there was another dude uh, with me that uh, wanted to shoot competition. So we kind of, you know, iron sharpens iron. We'd stay after work for six, seven hours every day working. And I bought a, a brand new Glock 34 at the beginning of that. 
well, two years later, it's like worn out. I'm on like my third barrel. And uh, finally, I, I had a, a weird theory. And so I called Glock up. I'm like, hey, uh, my theory is that, oh, shit, I wish I had one on my desk. My th- Oh, uh, that's a signal to work. My theory is that the slide actually wears out around where the barrel locks up. The barrels don't wear out because you look at mine, it's oval shape. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, kid, so uh, whatever. Like, well, can you come down to Georgia? And I'm like, yeah, that's only like a, like a five-hour drive, six-hour drive from Bragg. So I go down, I give them my Glock, and they're like, okay, you know, what's the story on this? I'm like, I don't know. It shot, I shot like 250,000, 300,000 rounds for this in the last two years. And they're like, ha, 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 you know, that's impossible. Yeah, they don't ever see that shit. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they took me to McDonald's or some shit. And they're like, can our engineers look at this? I'm like, yeah, dude, I'll leave it. Cool. Uh, I got to go. Like a week later, they call me back like, dude, you weren't kidding. Like you really shot like 250,000 rounds to this thing. So like, can you come back? Like we were totally jerking you off last time, but like we're serious now. Like we, we yeah. understand. So I went down and uh, dude, like they took me back in the back and I didn't even know there were no go gauges and, and go gauges for a Glock, but they dropped this thing in and like, the, the no-go gauge falls like half an inch past where it's supposed to. <laughs> it's just a bore scope. They're like, dude, it looks like asphalt in this barrel. Like this thing is toast. And uh, they told me at the time they had never seen a Glock that had that many legitimate rounds put through it that hadn't cracked the slide. Yeah. And uh, they were totally cool about it. They gave me a brand new uh, Gen 3 to trade for it. Uh, oh, yeah. I tell you what, they are rad customer service. Oh, yeah. Dude, they'll take care of you, man. You know, as opposed to like HK. You <laughs> <laughs> pools cannot afford us. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, so that that's always my go-to. Not because it's the best one. It's just, man, it's simple. It's the Honda Civic of handguns. Yeah, um, that's a good that's a good analogy, man. It really yeah. it goes bang. It, it yeah. works. You buy shit for it, holsters and magazines and yeah. stuff. Golly, man. Yeah, everybody, it's anybody who makes stuff for them. And it's easy for a novice to maintain. Yeah. You know, I always say, you know, 1911, that's a professional's gun. Um, right. You really got to know what you're doing. You know, you got to pay attention to ejection patterns and like all that stuff. And, you know, you extract attention. Schedule for springs and like everything. Yeah. Yes, you do. And I always say that, you know, I always have women come in when I work at the stop shop saying, so-and-so told me that I just need to get a 38 snub nose. I'm like, they hate you. Uh, that's the worst advice ever and to me 38 snub nose is a professional shooter's gun i've never had one that i could shoot worth a damn except for the ruger lcr um <laughs> i clover i could cloverly the shit out of stuff on a regular basis um that was a 357 model but um yeah i put people out on the range with a glock 19 and they'd go they'd come off the range and buy it that's it um, and then I always tell people like for ARs, you know, Colt, I don't think Colt's what they used to be, but you know, they got 69, 20s. There's a lot of good stuff you can find in that $1,200 range. Oh man. You go up to the $1,200 range. You really can. I mean, honestly, right now, even in, well, not right now, but like nine months ago, yeah. even in the $900 range, you could get some really legit. Gun. Especially really- when FN started offering commercial. Oh yeah. You know, well, the the- FN. Sig Tread was about 900 bucks. It was a really good gun. Yeah. Uh, the Springfield uh, Saint was like 900 bucks. It was a really good gun. Yeah. Uh, um, there was one other that was in that price category. It was like, sounds like a- uh, Aero Precision. Yeah. 
I mean, I wouldn't rule them out either, you know. And then I remember when Daniel Defense was like eleven, twelve hundred bucks, and then they went to like fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars, and they didn't change anything except for they put that retarded ass uh, butt stock on there. <laughs> but then to me, like BCM just became an even better deal. And BCM's hard to argue with. Yeah, they, they make some really good stuff too. Well, I mean, it's kind of an advantage to the, of every. We live in kind of the golden age of weapons. Uh, I mean, everything now is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, you can go buy some cheap ass pistol like you know a Canic or some Turkish bullshit, and it's a pretty damn good gun. It's gonna be tight, man. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna work. It's gonna hold up. It's gonna be durable. The whole thing with the pistol braces is going on now. Well, we'll see. Yeah. We will see. I I remember telling people when the pistol braces came out, I'm like, you know, the ATF is like a crazy girlfriend. They can change their mind at any minute, and uh, you know. Just, just SBR that shit and call it a day. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, it's uh, it's almost nine o'clock here, man. I've I've kept you long enough. Um. I know maybe maybe you'd be willing to come on again. We can start. We can talk about fitness and stuff like that. Yeah. No, that'd be perfect, dude. Yeah. Easy day. Cool. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap up. Um. I've got three questions that. Uh, Last season, I kind of got in the habit of it, and I kind of fell out of it. But uh, I just got three questions that I like to ask people. Um, number one, uh, who inspires you? Man, that's a tough one. <laughs> no, uh, I would have to say the uh, the guys that are still doing the job, man. Uh, it's it's kind of weird for me because uh, like all my peer groups now, like sergeant majors and stuff. But you know, I occasionally yeah. see my buddies still. And uh, it's amazing the, the stuff these guys are doing in the last, you know, seven years while I've been retired. Uh, so, yeah, I got to say, I got to see the guys are still doing it. All right. So other than the books that you've written, what books do you recommend for people to kind of get spun up on? A, oh, it could be to get spun up on, you know, something that's on the same lines of what you've written to get spun up to what may happen or just to kind of expand their outlook. Oh man, dude, my, my TBI is going to kick me in, in the ass here, but actually reference uh, a whole shit ton of them in Prairie Fire. Uh, and it's mostly because I can't remember things right now. There's one called, uh, it's the best first aid book I've ever seen. Uh, what the hell's the name? It's uh, written by a doctor and a nurse that are husband and wife team. Oh, wow. And, uh, basically, these two are absolute psychos in that they have like gone out and tested all this shit on themselves. But they also have the medical knowledge to know what's trash and what's not. Right. And by that, I mean like antibiotics that you can only buy for fish. Yes. Pet yep. uh, and it's not fish tank cleaner like that once you killed her husband. No, no, no. This stuff you go to like uh, tractor supply and shit. Exactly. Exactly. But they look same for horses too. Exactly. But they've figured out like all the doses and their equivalents in human beings. Uh, and it is a book that should be on everybody's bookshelf. I mean, it is, it is awesome. And to, to have a medical doctor that has actually had the brain to go do this. I mean, outstanding, absolutely outstanding. Highly recommend that one. And that, that you said you, you, uh, you had that referenced on Prairie Fire. It's, it's represented Prairie Fire. Sweet. I, damn, I, wish I, knew, I wish I knew the name of it or could remember the name of it right now. I've been blown up a lot. So my, my <laughs> Oh no, I get it. I have a, uh... Yeah, I, I didn't get blown up a lot, but I've hit my head a bunch. Um, yeah, so anybody that wants to know the name of that book, buy Prayer Fire and, and read that. And then you ah, you see what we did there? Marketing 102 or something. Something. <laughs> um, 
Well, we kind of talked about this and I interrupted you a bunch, but uh, favorite rifle and favorite pistol. Ooh, see, that's if really you could only If you could only have a primary and secondary and that was the only rifle and pistol you had. That's uh, and that's really tough because I do this for a living. So I see a lot of guns every year, but if I had to, had to pick two rifle would be a 16 inch Barnes precision, uh, medium contour with a night force one to eight on top. Seven, six, two, uh, five, five, six, five, five, six. Okay. Yeah. I'm actually a five, five, six guy. Uh, okay. just be, to me more versatile. I can carry more stuff. Right. And if I was going to carry one pistol in this day and age, it would be the SIG X carry. Yeah, that thing is sweet. Uh, you know, like we're talking about, I'm a Glock fanboy too. I have a bunch of Glocks. I like Glocks. Yeah. Shot them the whole time in my career. But I really think SIG has surpassed them as far as like development and technology goes. And I just feel like the SIG now is, is the better gun. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, the only reason I don't have SIG or CZ right now is because, but that was, that's been, I haven't, I haven't purchased a new firearm since 2012. <laughs> and that's awesome, dude. Man, and I, I got a, but you got a hundred mags between, you know, guns and lights and everything, holsters. They're like, I'm just like, I don't want to reinvest in everything. That's 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 a big piece of it, man. And dude, I mean, I totally get it. Uh, yeah. I 100% get it. Uh, in fact, the, the the fact that a handgun is a system with lights, holsters, magazines, all that stuff. Some again referenced in Prairie Fire, like use the one you have. Like unless yeah. you just have money, you want to collect shit. Like, right. Talking about use, like use the one you have because it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I mean, I'd love a CZ Taxport. You know? oh man yeah that's nice i get that yeah that's the only time i've ever indeed was in a was uh, i was shooting a checkmate <laughs> i i i indeed on target though <laughs> hey, I, I meant to put three yeah yeah oh yeah that's a light trigger yeah, that's nice dude well cool brother uh cliff it was really or i just called you cliff <laughs> what's that um, word all good yeah. man yeah, no, I did drink two beers during the episode. So, um, Clay, I really appreciate you coming on. It's really good to meet you, man. And uh, uh, I don't say this often, but anytime you want to come on the show, talk, whatever, all you got to do is reach out to me and we'll make it happen. Fucking awesome, man. Well, hey, dude, I appreciate it. Really do, man. It was a good time. I will uh, I will definitely do that. And yeah, let's do this again, man. It's a good time. Hell yeah, brother. All right, man. Right, stay warm out. Hey, stay, stay warm out there. I know it's cold where you're at. Yeah, you know it, bro. <laughs> it, right, was, it, it got up to 80 here. <laughs> oh, we got up to 36 today, so it's pretty good. <sighs> yeah. Well, it's like I'll get up in the morning, it'll be like 39, and then it'll be 85 in the afternoon. So <laughs> my that. sinuses are awesome. <laughs> I bet, dude. <laughs> All right, brother. Have a good night. All right, man. Good talking to you. Thanks take, again. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.